Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. It is Monday, June 8th. Let's cock-a-doodle do it. This is the early line right here on SportsGrid giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez. He's Kevin Walsh. And, Kevin, it is another beautiful week. I'm telling you, Kevin, I'm, like, legitimately excited. I thought the UFC card, 250, was a really good one. I want to ask you a lot about this. I may now be a full-on convert to the UFC. Um, We've got legitimate sports coming back or at least talking about coming back dates on the calendar some even in june which i'm excited about that we'll talk about and you know it just feels like we're coming out of our you know pandemic kind of caves on some level do you feel it also maybe it's just the summertime do you feel like we're inching closer no i sure do there's something about the ufc right now that that has me more than it has in quite some time. I, there, there's something, it's also too like the outside stuff. I love matchmaking, the booking, the ideas of who's going to fight here, but right. the fights were a blast on Saturday. Uh, it was just, I, I think, you know, cause we've been wondering, right, Dane, like what fight might have a more staying power than others? Mm. Because if, if you're first, yes. can you get people to stick? I, and, you know, I mean, I'm never going to forget Augsburg and Wolfsburg. They're going to always be a part of it. But I'm not going to watch Bundesliga all the time. right? Like, I'll, I'll always remember what we had with the KBO. But the UFC seems to be growing. And for those that are sticking with it yeah. are going to be sticking with it even when everything else opens back up. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would have considered myself a casual fan of the USC, you know, in the couple of days leading up to big fights. I tune in. I plug myself in. We talk to guys like our friend Jay, the sports keg CEO, yeah. who, by the way, went five and one on the main card. You know, he he and the one he lost technically was Nunez, not because he didn't have Nunez. But yeah, because we'll talk about that inside the distance. Right. So that didn't happen. I think, you know, quite frankly, Nunez was toying with her for the second half of the fight, but we'll get into that. I got to tell you something. One of the things at a big picture level, and we'll get into some of the action that we saw, one of the things that may keep me coming back, okay, is the idea that there's not a lot of downtime in between fights, Kev. You know, like, and I've noticed that they reel them off every half hour, and then, boom, even if there's a quick knockout, and there were some first-round endings in this card, but even in that, boom, they go to, you know, Rogan interviews you, you go to commercial, you come on back, they do one little kind of hype segment, and boom, Mm -hmm. then they're in the ring and ready to go. You contrast that with boxing, right, where there's like an hour and a half in between. I mean, I was... It felt like it kept moving, and that I yeah. really appreciated more than some other kind of, uh, you know, the fight game. Yeah, and I think the biggest difference probably between you think about MMA and the UFC specifically, right to boxing, like, is, you know, it's a full card when yeah. you watch a UFC. Boxing is Deontay Wilder is going to fight Tyson Fury at one a.m. There's going to be six fights before it. I don't know how long they're going to be. Yeah. I don't know anybody that's fighting, and it's completely irrelevant. You will pay thousands of dollars for these seats and you will show up for one fight it's the nature of boxing but those guys somehow still make more money it's what it is boxing is what it is um but yeah and this is the this is what they have the potential to do is to try and also build up stars like throughout this and if they can keep your attention and you can find yourself you know this is moving man because six o'clock right is when like pretty much the first fight right 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 right? that's your first fight of the night now not everybody's going to show up for that but the main card is not until four hours later. Right. You you got to be giving us good stuff, and it's got to be moving. Yes. And it certainly it seems like they've been able, able to deliver on that front. I do think, uh, you know, just, again, from people uh, in the, the MMA world, seem to like this small cage, think that the small cage should stick around. It mm-hmm. seemingly is giving us more action. More action. And, yeah, I mean, that's always what you want in the fight yeah. game. So maybe the, the small cage will... Um, find its home in the UFC. 
Interesting. Yeah, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You talk about kind of following stars, people you could develop and stick with. I remember we talked about it last week, and I've got to ask you about the Sugar Show, Kevin. It, first of all, I'm literally watching this with my wife, right? And I'm like, yo, check out this dude in the Rainbow Cornrows. Sugar yeah. Show. I think this guy's going to do some things, right? Mm -hmm. So we watch him, and I got to tell you, bro, the knockout he had, right? Homeboy knew before, you know, before he hit the ground, right? Before he hit the ground, he walks off. He's like, yo, I think that's worth 100000 Forget 50. <laughs> then in the interview, he's like, yo, what was different about this step up in competition? Absolutely nothing. You know, I mean, it's absolutely crazy, but I got it. You know, but then when the fight went on, you know, when you see the Sugar Show knockout, you're like, oh, this is one of the craziest knockouts I've ever seen in like walk-off fashion. But Kevin... I yeah. may have changed my opinion like a mere hour later mm -hmm. after Cody Garbrandt. I mean, the Garbrandt, he looked like Speedy Gonzalez left and right, completely, in my opinion, outclassing, um, I believe, a Sun Sal. And then his knockout was potentially even more devastating than the Sugar Show. Which one did you get up out your seat and, oh, <laughs> I mean, they were both ridiculous, weren't they? It was. I, I mean, it was. Oh man, it was so crazy. Um, Sugar Show, Sugar Show on was was something because it wasn't like the only you like walked away. <laughs> yeah. So like Mark Hunt is like famous for that. Right. Drops a dude, just walks away with his hand in the air. But like Hunt, first of all, it's a heavyweight, so it's way right. more believable. And like also, like sometimes they'll be hitting him, hitting him for a while, and then he'll finally land. It almost felt like. That was the first clean, clean shot that landed in a way. And he was like, yep, you will not be getting up from that. And boy, was he right. I yeah. mean, Eddie Wyland had toes in the air, and that dude was dreaming about something different other than getting up from that punch. The Cody Garbrandt one, though, is... was like out on the stool and kind of like falling off the stool. Not once, but twice afterwards. So... <laughs> Shout out no non uh, no nonsense Keith Peterson who's actually become now somewhat of a folk hero. That's the guy that uh, Dominic Cruz is like he was drunk and smoking, right, and right, right, right. like like consistently great as a ref. So I mean again and that that whole thing who knows, but I mean like a buzzer beater knockout yeah. is not really a thing, right? <laughs> like wild. to the point where you might be able to go back and watch the film, and maybe the horn went off. Before that fist landed. No, I checked it, and here's what literally happened. He makes contact before the horn. Yeah. Why land? But then the horn goes off before he hits the ground. Right. The horn literally goes off in between contact and when Wyland hits the ground. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then the interview with Rogan to me was was just, you know, put the uh, sugar topping on the sugar cake, shall we say. <laughs> It was it was great. And what I loved was uh, Sean then took to Twitter and uh, tweeted out after Cody's knockout, decent. That's all he wrote, which was great. Um, and that would be a real fun fight if if they wanted to, you know, strap the rocket, if you will. Right. Sean, I mean, he looks. You know, people would tell you that Eddie Wineland uh, passed his prime, and, and yeah, he's certainly passed his prime. But that guy's no joke. Like but that's not something like that people, was a little just, right. You don't just walk through a guy like that. Um, yeah. He's going to be seeing, you know, the other, the question that he was like, oh, could, you know, Sean O'Malley go over someone in the top five? 135 is pretty stacked. Yeah. And Sean is not even ranked during that last fight. But he's going to get someone inside that top 12-ish yeah. range, top, top 10 range for sure. And maybe even you can do something with that Cody Garbrandt fight. Cody is, you know, he I mean, he's a former world champion, right? right? And then he lost three in a row. He's, you know, trying to call kind of like out. Rededicate you know. himself, not to the flair, not to getting caught up yep. in the hype or the emotions of a fight, but just go there, do his business, apply his amazing skill. These low calf kicks also are going to make people just drop. I saw that in the one fight that I did tail Jay and lost was the Juicy Formiga fight, right? He could barely stand after like an, after a round and a half, you know? So yeah. I think that is, you know, people got to figure out how to counter that as well. You know, you mentioned Garbrandt, right? You mentioned O'Malley, but I got to tell you something. This bantamweight, is that the division, the 145, 130? Because also the other big fight in the card was the Asuncao and um, I believe it was um, Sterling, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Sanhagen yeah. and, uh, and Sterling. Sterling fight, right? And when we talk about Al Jermaine, like, 
there's another huge contender, right? Because I'm like, oh, this is an interesting division. And then, you know, Al Jermaine looked dominant. Cody Garbrandt looked dominant, right? And there's, you're talking to me about O'Malley. It looks like there's bright times ahead. Really impressive division. I think all these guys, Sugar Show, um, you know, Sterling, Garbrandt, they all put forth huge performances and they could be in line to see each other as, like you said, they move up the ranks, right? Yeah, it's actually interesting. Cody Garbrandt um, said uh, during the post-fight interview, was like, let's send the whole uh, division to Fight Island and we'll do a tournament. And we'll see who comes out on top because Henry Zahudo just retired. So he vacates that Thank title. You. So they, they have the, the fight is apparently already booked. It, it's going to happen at Fight Island probably in July. Peter Yan against Jose Aldo. Yan deserving. Aldo is so undeserving of the shot that people ask the name, right? The old name to bring in there. Yeah, put it's on it's, the it's a legacy sense. thing. Right. Aldo is so undeserving that people asked Dana White at the, at the post fight press conference, any thoughts on giving Aljamain Aldo spot, which is, huh. you don't do that. You don't right. like every, you, the way negotiations work, like you're not just going to say, Hey, listen, no, but like Cody Garbrandt called out Peter Yan. Aljamain Sterling called yeah. out Peter Yan because that's how much like the Aldo they claim. They know the Aldo thing is just like a, a, a speed right. bump. But that's not how business is done. So they're going to go and they're going to have that fight. And that's great. The thing is, Aljamain Sterling probably has the best claim of any of these guys in the division to call himself the, the uncrowned champ of the division. I mean, he was the number two fighter going against the number against four, four fighter. Yeah. Okay? And Jose Aldo sits back at six. Now, and Peter Yan, I actually think, is three. Because I believe it's Marlon Morales who's out one. Yeah. So Sterling has as much of a claim. He's going to get that next shot. Cody Garbrandt wants it, but he's he's going to figure out something different. I think even maybe the Marlon Morales fight could be interesting for him. Or if he wanted to do Sean O'Malley, that would be a lot of fun as well. But what a, what a relief that has to be for Dana White. Because um, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about it. I mean, right now, it's not a lot of smooth sailing for him. Uh, in a lot of ways. And um, usually, right, you would say Henry Cejudo retiring would only compound that. Not, I'm sure he'd rather have Cejudo than not. Sure. However, 135 is doing plenty. Just plenty fine. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. You mentioned Fight Island also. Like, maybe they could do their little tournament on Fight Island. It looks like we have heard, you know, it looks like Fight Island may in fact be in the UAE in Abu Dhabi. It, uh, one of the fighters in a press conference was talking about Fight Island and kind of let the cat out of the bag that it might be there in the Middle East. I mean, that makes sense, right? Uh, that's kind of what I would have guessed uh, you know, with the with the princes out there in the Etihad, uh, they'll welcome you in. Don't have to worry about some of the politics involved. And uh, it looks like Fight Island may be real. Yeah, Dana is refusing to acknowledge it. He, he probably wants to do a very specific rollout, which I get. Um, but it does seem like the, you know, the cat is out of the bag. The source of it was Herbert Burns, who opened right. the card, who is the brother of Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns could potentially be fighting Kamar Usman there, so maybe we got a little bit of a hit, hit, hit. Ah, some news. It's ironic, Kev. We're off and running, and we still haven't talked about the main event over the weekend. We'll do... SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back into the early line here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. Dane and Kevin, you know, taking a look at what we saw in UFC 250. And Kevin, I think you're right. I think there is something to the staying power or the, you know, added attention for going first, having all these cards in the last month when, you know, other sports weren't really going on in this country. I think they are grabbing some of the attention share. And, you know, someone who was supposed to do that was – you know, in the main event, the champion at two weight classes in the women's game, Amanda Nunes, the lioness, who's, you know, the GOAT, obviously, has taken out everybody <laughs> else. Whoever had a claim to that from Cyborg to Ronda Rousey to anybody, Misha Tate and others. And it was clear to me after about, you know, a minute and a half that Amanda Nunes was just completely outclassing uh, Spencer, you know, kind of just you know, was 
you know, Spencer was just surviving. I didn't think she was going to with a lump on her forehead in the second half of the fight, but still got it done. And, you know, the commentators were talking. She's now cleaned out two weight classes. Okay. Now, yeah. who's next? Who is viable for Amanda Nunes to fa face? You know, they were talking about, I believe, Shevchenko, who did put out good fights against her, but she's now gone down a weight class, right, to mm -hmm. one... 25, so I don't know how they match up. I mean, Amanda Nunes is so much now head and shoulders above any woman on the planet. Yeah. What did she do from here? So the Shevchenko thing is very interesting because Amanda's 2-0 against her. Right. But It's competitive, right? Well, there's a lot of people that think that Amanda lost that second fight to mm -hmm. Valentina. The thing is, Dana was asked about it, balked at it. So I, we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about something he clearly has no interest in making. Maybe he will do it down the road, let them both continue to build it up. But it's difficult because then you have to put so much other stuff on pause. As far as a, a challenger for they'll find somebody. Whether it'll be competitive or not is the question. And you have to ask yourself, with Amanda Nunez, is... Will people want to show up to watch the dominance? Because, right. you know, when it came to Mike Tyson, right, it was like you knew what was going to happen, but people wanted to see it happen. But Amanda went to a decision, right? And this is something that, to me, I found so hilarious, so disrespectful, so impressive, so many, oh, so many me. different ways to, to, to skin this cat. There's a lot of people that said one of the best value plays on the board was Nunez by decision. Mm. And a lot of people cashed that bet. Right. But if you didn't turn the broadcast off as soon as the fight ended and you stuck around for that post-fight press conference, you have to know you got lucky with that one. You just have to. Because Amanda Nunez said after her first punch, she knew, she knew. She knew. Felicia Spencer could not knock her out, right? So right away, she's in no danger on that front. She's toying with her. But people would say, oh, well, the idea was Felicia to take her down. Well, they both tried seven takedown attempts. Felicia scored zero. Nunez got six. <laughs> Nunez got six. She was doing whatever, whatever she, she wanted. But to, to see, the thing is, we can just say, Dana, she was playing with her. She, she could have ended this whenever she wanted. She said, post-fight, although a lot of people keep saying, you know, oh, they're going to tire me out. Uh, I just you know, wanted that, to show that, I had the yeah. stamina. She goes, yeah, I just, I just wanted, I wanted to go 25 minutes to prove to people I could. Hey, what? Yeah. Hey, what in the world is that? Yeah. Hey, for sure, get in and get out. Because it's fighting. You're not supposed to take unnecessary shots. But she was like, no, it's all good. This is 25 minutes of sparring. I'm going to do whatever I want. And when the fight's over, like you're a fan of mine, here's the title. Take a photo. Because you're never actually going to hold it unless I retire and you stick around. Right. So I repeat the question. What is left out there for her? You know, I understand the idea of seeing greatness no matter what. I understand, that, Kevin. I think that's that's true. Right. But if there's nothing out there for her at a certain point, because what you do have to weigh is if you just keep on going like this, right, and be on dominant, eventually the Buster Douglas will come along. And eventually the shine, you know, you'll have the dramatic upset, whether it happens in six months or four years, I don't know, right? But at some point, if there's truly nothing left for you, Maybe you you keep the the air of invincibility and goatness, mm. and I, I'm not saying I want her to retire, like you know, but I legitimately I don't think there is any uh, challenge left for this woman in this sport. I gotta say I'm good on her going to play with the uh, White Sox. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> to me I, I think that. There's so there's things that she is chasing that no one has ever in her position been able to chase before. She is now so yeah yeah like she's the first person to ever simultaneously defend two belts right and people the the, the you know the conversation is she's the, the greatest female mixed martial artist of all time. That conversation is is done and over right like right. there's no point in having that. It's is she the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. Right? Of all time. Right. And there are records out there for her to chase. Okay. Most title fights, title victories. Okay. Um, I think John Jones might hold both of those. Um, and we know John Jones is in that discussion. Right. We know uh, George St. Pierre's sure. in that discussion. And the thing is, like for Amanda, she's going to continue to build this up. I saw something pointed out on a post show by Chael Sonnen that I thought was a really, really astute observation, which was you look at when Amanda got the belt put around her. 
And it wasn't this like, yeah, thanks. It was child-esque joy. Still, right. Just absolute love right. for what she's doing. And I don't see this uh, stopping. Now, yes, I understand, right? When the next fight's around and she's again a minus 700 right. favorite. Like, what's the, yeah. But that's a part of the game, man. That's Sometimes people are that dominant and people will show up to watch dominance. I would just tell her, hey, finish the work as soon as you can. That's how people will start showing up more and more and more. Yeah, I guess that's possible. But she, like you said, could do anything she damn well pleased in that octagon over the weekend. And I don't see any reason why she wouldn't be able to do that against any woman on this planet. I get it. Maybe the greatest of all time, right? Like, for example, Serena Williams may be trying to chase the same exact kind of title in her sport just of all time, regardless of gender. That does make sense for me. I talk about, like, is there anything left for Amanda? Well, ironically, you know, the attention whore that is Conor McGregor also decided to, uh, you know, make it known that there is nothing left for him. Ironically, right as everyone is talking about all these other guys, right? It reminds me, do you remember in the World Series? I think it was the Red Sox-Rockies World Series where in the middle of the World Series is when, like, Alex Rodriguez dropped that he got a 20, like a $250 million contract or whatever it was. Again, taking the spotlight off what was going on and back on to him connor tweeted he's done he's yeah. retiring i i mean i had to check the date on the tweet to make sure that it wasn't just someone retweeting it from one of the other times he had yeah. done so but if you watch the action last night you certainly saw a lot of whiskey commercials and then you see the tweet um do you believe that connor is done or do you think he's seeing some of these dudes that are out there and being like whoa maybe the better part of discretion is to just, you know, be a public figure, do my billionaire walk and sell my whiskey. So the second part, totally reject on its face. Okay. The the issue here is not is is the opposite. He's dying to fight and is growing frustrated with so the lack me, of opportunity. He's a rich man. You know, the same way so, I say Gronk, why yeah. come back? Cam, even, why come back? You know, it's different. And I, you know, you know more about this. I definitely want to hear your thoughts. But for mm-hmm. me, honestly. Connor, when he wasn't he like a janitor in buildings and stuff back in the day? Like that's a hungry dog, right? Trying to fight. The man is now wealthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, why, yeah. Get, why get your face kicked in? That's like really a big part of it for me. But if you say he's chomping at the bit, all right. So that's the thing is, you know, I know a lot of people don't like Conor McGregor, and I understand why a lot of people don't like Conor McGregor. But for the most part, he's been very truthful in the things that he says. And when he says he loves the fight game, he means it. Now, when he says he's retiring, that's a load of nonsense. You can't <laughs> retire three times in four years. Right. That's, not a, that's, that's not how that works. But the thing is, we have a premise for this. So we know what it is, Dane. And it was proven immediately then when he spoke to Aria Hawani. Ah, it's a negotiating tactic. Of course. He wants his fights. And Conor McGregor set out a plan at the beginning of 2020. He said, I want to, fi- I want to fight three times this year. Fight number two, he was hoping, fight week in July, which is always, you know, the big showdown in Vegas, fight week, mm-hmm. international fight week. It's amazing. Obviously, they're not having fight week, but they look, will still look to put on a big-time card in July. So Connor has two avenues that he's trying to explore. Khabib's off the table because of, I believe, Ramadan. He right. can't fight in the summer. He's got to be pushed back to September. That's why Gaethje Khabib is not supposed to take place until September. Otherwise, that fight would currently be booked. But it's not booked because we have to wait for Khabib. So Connor's offered, there's two avenues. There's fighting Gaethje for the interim title, which he's begging for. And makes sense, right? I mean, at the end of the day, why not? It's because Dana knows that the biggest fight he has in his pocket is Khabib versus Connor. It's right. the biggest fight in the company's history. Let's wait the fans fight. are back for that one. That's one of the big yeah, issues uh, here, is it seems like Dana doesn't want to do a Conor fight without a gate, because the four biggest gates in the history of the yeah, company belong to Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor, yeah. Conor McGregor, and Conor McGregor. So I get it. Makes sense. The thing is, he's going to fight again, right? And you're doing great. Pay-per-view numbers, I think there's there are some avenues that work. But I will offer you the idea that Wait him for the fans Gaethje, or strike one the iron's hot kind of thing. Him versus Gaethje is dangerous, right? Because if he does lose, and then Gaethje goes on to go versus Khabib, and and Gaethje loses, right. now the idea of Connor, right? It's it's tough. It's 
the fight that's out there that there needs to be a more of a conversation around is him versus Anderson Silva. It is what is labeled a dream fight. But mm-hmm. Connor offered again in the comments with Ariel Hawani. He said, the reason I said I retired is I, nothing is exciting me right now. Nothing's exciting me. I'm, I'm, I'm bothered. And, you know, I offered the Anderson Silva fight. And, man, I'm like, that's a mad. He said, I think his quote was, that's a mad fight. Like, just absolutely. That's crazy, man, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be, that'd be so amazing. And he goes, but I see it already. They're already discrediting a potential victory. That he's old, he's over the hill, and it would be a meaningless win. Right. And now I don't know where you would land on that. To me, I think it would be a spectacle. And I think as we both know wrestling, you have two options, right? Mm-hmm. You can look at it like, you know, Hulk Hogan versus Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. Right. Hogan or... was well past it, right? And mm-hmm. Shawn was like, this is ridiculous, even though Shawn was pretty old. Or you can look at it as Hulk Hogan versus The Rock from WrestleMania, which is one of the most electric wrestling matches maybe the most that's ever existed the issue that does exist and i will acknowledge is conor mcgregor versus anderson silva with fans is absolutely bonkers that's gonna be maybe i think dane one of the issues that keeps sticking and i will i will just add this one more piece mcgregor said there's no issues here about money unlike john jones and jorge Mm. masvidal and everybody else in this in this company conor doesn't have to worry about the money ufc knows how much he's worth Right. The problem is actually finding the opponent. Hmm. Very, very interesting stuff. All right, we'll keep our tabs on that. When we come back, we turn our attention to the kind of back and forth and labor negotiations again in baseball and in soccer. And I tell you why, everybody who was inside the octagon might have been safer than the rest of Vegas when we come back. It's the early line right here on Sports Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the Monday edition of the Early Line. Start of a new week, but Dan and Kevin are still here. We've been looking back at what happened over the UFC this weekend. A lot of interesting fights happened, a lot of spectacular personalities and knockouts, and the future does seem bright, whether it's in Vegas with a small octagon or out in uh, UAE in Fight Island. I will say this, though. Okay, when I when I was watching, obviously, no fans in the stands. All the All the kind of cut men and trainers and the corner people had masks on the broadcast tables were spread out like six feet apart they were really respecting the idea of social distance trying to stay safe amongst the pandemic but kevin i don't know if you saw this if you were like anywhere else in vegas you didn't give a damn because these casinos our friend jared friend of the show friend of the network i do shows with him on the weekend he posted a video you see it here just someone walking through the casino I would not know what year this video was taken in. This could have been 2018 to me. I literally, in this two-minute video, walking around the casino, you see it here now, Kevin, I count like three masks out of like 500 people that I see it. Everyone's, you know, dressed to the nines. It looks like a normal Saturday night in the casino in Vegas. Um, Whether it's, you know, the casino's opening, obviously we're seeing huge gatherings across this country for other reasons as well. Like, are we just like done with COVID or, or, or is it over now? We're not paying attention anymore. I, I yeah. changed to June or, um, are these reasons for spikes in the future, bro? I got it. Are, are you going to walk through a casino? Yeah. Like if I told you right now, cool, I got tickets to this game or whatever. Would you go? Are you like, I, I just honestly don't know. I got it. So <laughs> it's very comforting, um, to hear you offer pretty much exactly what goes through my mind when I see this stuff, because if you would have told me in March, right. Yeah. You would have said in March, hey, this is what Vegas will look like in June. I've been like, that's awesome, dude. That's so good. You know what? It's it's the layover is what it is, right? But we're now here in June. And I don't know if that's like, how it's supposed to be. the light switch flipped? And I, and I know everywhere has been different. And I do Fair. acknowledge that us being Fair. here in New York, right, of course. Like, right. We I, have we a, view a this perspective stuff. that yeah. is, you know, right, from the Very. episode. Like, I mean, there was like a celebration, like, oh my God, no one died today from COVID, right? Right. Like, that's how different New York has been. No, no, and and so, but I'm still, I mean, like, if I leave the house, the mask is on. Like, I'm masked up, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to keep it safe. But I'll tell you one thing that I I tweeted out to monitor, 
because I'm now finding a way to make sure that AW is going to become a part of the sports conscious for people. <laughs> um, what they did was re-announce the dates for two of their shows that got canceled because of the pandemic. They were the first two shows, right? They rebooked them for July, like in March. They, were, they obviously didn't realize right, at right. that time that that was not going to be a thing. Um, so they've now announced new dates for those shows. The one that I'm supposed to be going to is in February. That's super far. It doesn't matter. But the other one that is in Rochester, New York, Okay, and the one that I'm going to, by the way, is February at the Prudential Center. That's Jersey, so that's still relevant. Yeah, yeah. That's February. Um, is in Rochester, New York, for an early November. Now, again, we're talking about wrestling, and I get that for people, but we're talking about a company advertising an event that tickets are already sold for. Right? People can get the refunds if they want. Right. That will have fans in attendance, and I personally think that is noteworthy what the notes are i'm not still sure but i think it's something right. to monitor for sure yeah. it's a marker of some kind of progress maybe entering some other phase we talked about it also remember the state of texas is opening up and saying about 25 percent capacity of fans nascar said hey for that one track we don't know there's pga on the horizon in that state we shall see i think as early as this weekend coming up how they handle it but you're right you know the biggest headline and our biggest topic of conversation has been kind of negotiations and getting back to play right and how confident we are in doing so we've talked about major league baseball the nba the nhl playoff format we're going to dig into mls a little bit later on in this show but you know kev the ufc is not immune to this right it looks like jose masvidal is also talking about he wants to get paid you know talking about this potential championship fight with usman but also looking around at the sports landscape and seeing how revenue is split between the owners and the athletes he's like oh wait a second what percentage and meanwhile we're getting what percentage uh it looks like masvidal may have a beef here huh yeah, so it's really interesting, man. In When it comes to fighters negotiating for more money, um, a lot of the time, Dan, you will see the fans, not dissimilar to the NBA or the NFL, be like, oh, man, just fight. Just fight. What are you doing? Like, right. you, you know what I mean? Like, all the time you'll see that. And Easy for them to say. So easy. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally saw someone comment under a Jorge Masvidal tweet that Jorge makes more money to fight than that guy made in two years. And it's like, dude... You are so out to lunch if you think that that is something that anyone should ever care about. Right. Um, but whatever. So something that has now been so, – so here's Jorge Masvidal's situation. He wants to fight Kamar Usman. Kamar Usman wants to fight him. It's the fight to make for the 170 title. No debate about it. The okay. problem is Jorge Masvidal's last fight for the BMF title against maybe the second biggest star in the sport. You're welcome from Conor McGregor. Diaz, right? Mm -hmm. And he now has to go fight Kamara for less money because Usman isn't much of a draw. He's certainly not the draw that Diaz is. Right. And Masvidal's like, wait a minute. I'm fighting for the title and getting paid less? That doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. So he's not talking about the idea about how they need one collective voice because fighters are always pit against each other and they're never actually able to benefit themselves in the long run because what's going to happen to Masvidal seemingly, and it does seem like this is going to happen, is he's going to get undercut. Whether it's Gilbert Burns, who is now the new number one contender by the UFC's rankings, how convenient that is, right? After beating Tyrone Woodley. Right. Could take that fight. Or eight-fight win streak Leon Edwards might be able to get to Fight Island, who's stuck in England, to fight get to Island. fight against Kamar Usman. He <laughs> actually said the other day on an interview with BT Sport, he believes he's close to a potential deal. So Masvidal's talking kind of about the idea that, like, I mean, some type of union would surely be beneficial for them so things like this don't happen. Understandable, but also fighters are somewhat working against each other. Would it ever work? I don't know. Here's something, though, that Masvidal pointed out that is certainly worth acknowledging. He talked about the share of the revenue. And he said, ah. like, like, he, his quote was, I get 18%. And I'm like, hmm, if you get 18, your opponent gets 18. There's only, what, 14 left for the rest of I'm like, that, I'm, something's getting lost in translation right. here, right? And he's making these comparisons. He's like, the, look at the NBA, look at the NFL. These guys get 50-50 splits, 51-49 splits. Right. So you do a little bit of research. And Masvidal, by saying I, meant the fighters. Sure. Not Masvidal. The fighters in 2019... Because they don't have a union, right? They sure don't. 
got 16% of the UFC's revenue. They made, this is by a, a report from the Post, I believe it was. Okay. They got $900 million in revenue for the UFC the play, uh, and the players. The fighters were given $150 million of that, a little bit less. And again, you might say to yourself, $150 million, what are we complaining about? It's 16% of the revenue. You could double that. And we're still not where you need to be. You got to triple it to yeah. flirt where things are normal. And the thing is, this is now something that needs to be looked at broadly. Okay? You've got Masvidal saying, well, listen, you keep saying I can do whatever I want. No, I can't. I'm not allowed to go to Bellator tomorrow. I have to fight for you, right? Right. You, you guys need to be figuring out the pay. John Jones is having the same situation. Henry Cejudo just put two belts down. And some people believe that a lot of that had this to do part with, of it. hey, you can't ever get Nate to fight unless it's for money. There's a reason why Nate's fought Connor twice and then does nothing. I was like, oh, okay, you're paying me a ton to fight Masvidal. Yeah. It's because of money. Oh, and by the way, the most financially important guy you've got in your entire sport just threatened to retire again. Apparently has mm -hmm. nothing to do with money. But let's be also be honest, money is always sometimes a part of these discussions. You're sitting here, Dane, 16%? Yeah. The conversation needs to be had. I agree with you. Listen, I've been the guy telling you for months <laughs> that the money details will become a stumbling block. Now you're over here telling me about percentage points. Remember, <laughs> also, you know, I showed you that in the NBA, right, there's an, a range of potentially losing 6% all the way to losing 18%. We talked about that based on the regular season games and all these things. Absolutely. It comes down to money. And obviously, these fighters plying their trade, especially if the Sport grows in attention. Yeah, maybe it's their time to say, hey, wait a second, what about fair treatment for us? I completely understand that. And it brings me to the next story here, Kev. We talk about opening up the books, right? And seeing this, and this has been no bigger than in Major League Baseball. And in Major League Baseball, we heard Scherzer even say, oh man, uh, I think they're lying. They're going to lose money, whatever. I did some digging. Kev, uh, the good people at 538, uh, Jeff Passan over the weekend started putting out kind of uh, explaining the money of it all, right? And and why, you know, half half a season with no fans may actually lose some money, how they want to, how this number of 50 games as the last resort even came to pass. What is the actual loss? I have some info, some details, some numbers on this to try to outline it for you. I also realize exactly why the major league proposal was what it was in numbers and percentages. And it's all very clear to me now. And I actually will guarantee you, Kevin, after this that I know a there will be a baseball season and B exactly the low minimum and the highest ceiling of how many games there will be it's all a damn formula that's being figured out as we speak Kevin I know we got a couple of minutes but let me set the stage oh. for you okay oh, please do in a normal, there's there's revenue and there's expenses right for the owners obviously the revenue is the money you earn the expenses obviously what you're paying out in a normal season, okay, last season, whatever, mm -hmm. and pulling numbers from Forbes.com and fan cost index and all this stuff, think about the things that make up all the revenue, Kev. There's the gate, right? There's the gates. That's a huge chunk of it. Then there's literally a big chunk of, like, other stuff that happens at the stadium, okay? Concessions, beer, parking, uh, you know, T-shirts, all that stuff, right? Then there's your national and local television contracts. We've talked about that. There's also, you know, sponsorship, licensing deals, money from the MLB Central Fund, what have you. All that combined, all the revenue they get combined, and this is the number you need to know, okay? In, say, the 2019 season, the average over the last few seasons was, get this, $9.9 billion, okay? 9.9 B, that's normally what it would be, okay? In a half season without fans, right? You lose all of the gate stuff. You lose all of the other concession stands, parking, blah, blah, blah stuff. You keep the national TV, you lose some of the local TV, some of the other sponsorships. The revenue in a half season without fans goes from 9.9 .9 billion to 4.23 billion, okay? That's the number you need to know in terms of what the projected revenue would be 
with a half season and no fans. I'll tell you what the expenses are, and we'll try and uh, merge the two sides. We'll be at the negotiating table on the early line when we come back. It's Kevin and Dane educating you on a Monday morning. Come on back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody. It's the early line right here on SportsGrid. Dane and Kevin opening up the books of Major League Baseball, right? It don't matter. It's NBA percentages. It's UFC percentages, MLS percentages. And in baseball, you know, we saw that Scherzer came out and was like, I don't believe you. Open up the books. Well, I've been trying to piece it together, Kevin. Before the break, I told you that in a normal season, their revenue, all in, all the teams, is around $9.9 billion with a B. If they had to take the kits, obviously, at the gate for all these games, obviously, the concession stands, the T-shirts, the parking, right? They get most of the national revenue, but then portions of, like, local and sponsorship, whatever. That winds up to be $4.23 billion for the half season with no fans. Remember that number, $4.23 billion in revenue, half season with no fans. Okay, then there's the expense side of the equation, right? Normally, Kevin... They added up player salaries from like last year, whatever. Player salaries last year were $4.6 billion combined. Then the other expenses are things like keeping the stadium lights on, right? Paying other part-time workers, right? There's other expenses to manage a team, mostly around the stadium and other employees and stuff like that. And that last year totaled $4.07 billion, okay? So remember, the revenue normally... 9.9 billion, right? Mm. The expenses normally get to 8.7 billion. So a normal profit for the owners of like 1.1, 1.2 billion. Okay? Right. That's important to know. The difference, the profit of 9.9 .9 off 8.7 normally. But I told you that with half the season, their revenue was going to be 4.23. So let's yeah. figure out what the expenses would be in that half season with no fans. So if you did the force majeure, which is the pro rating of salaries, right? Mm -hmm. And the salaries were 4.6. You cut that down in half to 2.3. Cool. Okay. You take those other expenses that I said were 4.07. You cut that in half to like 2.03, whatever. What you have is the expenses for a half season with no fans and prorated salaries would be 4.35 billion dollars. Remember what I told you the revenue was? $4.23 billion. So in fact, if you did it with a half season and no fans, they would stand to lose, this is the owners, whatever, you know, $4.23 billion minus $4.35 billion is. So we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, point, you know, $0.13 billion. And you say, oh, it's just one. That's billions of dollars, bro. So it's a lot of money. Yeah. They do have a loss. Here's what I figured out. This was if you just do half of the player salaries, right? Yeah. So I figured out a couple of things, Kev, that I think are interesting. Sure. One is if they didn't do 50%, if they did it as 47%, that's the break-even number, brother. Okay? That's yeah. the break-even number where instead of all these expenses totaling the 4.35, it would be the same as the revenue. Not 50%, 47% would give you the revenue. But... If you do the calculations on Major League Baseball's proposal, which everyone was upset about, taking the extra salary cat hit and all that stuff, that proposal wound up not being 50%, not being 47%. When you do the math on the whole for the entire league, it turned out to be 24% of what it really was. And that would change the equation so that the expenses all in turned out to be $3.1 billion. Okay. What do you know? The same exact profit margin off of what the ex revenue would be with half the season of no fans, right? I told you that was 4.23. They found out the proposal to make the expenses be 3.1, maintaining the exact $1.1 million profit. So here we go. That proposal, which would maintain the profit, what the owners are already cool with, is 50 yep. games. 
We know for damn sure that the players are already cool with 82 games, right? So I'll tell you right now what Manfred is doing as the last resort. That's the range. The 48 games is what does it to maintain profit margin. The 82 games is what does it to maintain the, pl the player pro rating of cuts. Every single number in between there starts to split the difference. Is the players sharing the pain by doing more than just prorating? And everything closer to the 48 is going to maintaining the profit of owners, right? Clearly, the other sides don't want that. Those are your flagpoles, Kevin. Mm -hmm. When you say in the negotiation, you say something crazy, it's some Brian in the middle, I'll guarantee you. What Manfred says is going to be something in between the 48 and the 82 to kind of split the financial difference to once again share the pain. Let me stop there. Does that make sense? I know it threw out a lot of numbers. You have some of them on the graphic here. Does mm -hmm. that make sense about why the owners actually would lose money on some level and they're trying to just maintain their profitability from years past and the so books? Because you just were very impressive with a lot of numbers, yeah. let me do some basic math just to make myself awesome. feel better. Awesome. 60 is dead even games, right? In games between the 50, between, oh, no. between 50 40, and 82? At least 60. 82. No, it'd be like 65. If I take 12 from 82, don't I get 60? Then if no. I add 12 to 48? Take 12 from 62, from 82, you get 70. Oh, you're totally right. See, this is yeah, what I'm talking about. That's why it's 65 from 62. Make up your right? difference. But go ahead. Exactly. A lot of numbers going on here, it's all right? Good, brother, that's what we do here. We data-driven people at SportsGrid, at SportsRadar, using the numbers, using the data to help you. I just got to get their arithmetic right, though. Come on. So Kevin. to me, yeah, right. Yep. The the idea that they try to pull off a one billion dollar profit margin is hilarious. Well, that's right? what they're used to. Right, but like this yeah, is what I, I'm talking about. This I, this is but why, the fact that they would, in fact, lose money on the other side is uh, also relevant and valid. Right. Totally relevant and valid. People would counter it by saying they've been making a billion dollars in profit for years. They're right? businessmen. They're gold. 100%. 100%. They probably could handle an 82-game season, if we're being honest. But I understand that you want some type of finding it in the middle. But this is why, to me they lose out on this. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know if there is an intended takeaway from the numbers that you deliver, right? But to me, the biggest thing is that they tried to find their, their billion-dollar profit margin again. And this is when they're like, listen, just share the pain with us. No! Take all the pain and right. let us do let what us we do. Let us profitability, right. And, but to your point, Kev, right, you talk about negotiation all the time. You say crazy stuff. So maybe that's their position, right? And they know, and they know that the last resort is Manfred's just going to come out and decide it anyway. So why not negotiate from that stance? I, I mean, you have to think of it. Yes, like, they will probably end up winning this, right? Because the middle ground is them being profitable, right? right. Yes. So... This will, in essence, work out for them. Will they be as profitable right. as they would like to be? No. Will the right. players be as profitable as they would like to be? Also no. Right. And that usually <laughs> is how, yeah, that's usually how a deal is made. So, yeah, I guess it, I mean, it's probably the, the, the best piece of news that's been delivered on this show towards yeah. baseball since Bob Nightingale was like, listen, they're going to mess up the divisions. And we were like, cool, let's talk about yeah. what that looks like. Um, and I here's just, the thing, right? There's yeah. some calculation. I don't know it, right? But everything from 82 to 50 or whatever it is, right? Every game represents a certain dollar amount that closes that gap, right? I don't know exactly how much it is, right? But that's where we are going to be. But it makes me think, Kev, that we're going to have a season. It's just going to be real short, right? And let's say you get a 60-game season. Yeah. They can kick the can down the road here, Kev. That means, you know, all of August, all of September, right? That's 60 games. You play almost every day. Throw some double headers in there. It can, in fact, happen. Yeah. Let me let me ask this, though, right? <laughs> the player's number, right? Is there any world where we take into account the fact that they are losing money? And does it matter to anyone? Because... You went from them making, if I'm not mistaken, about what four billion 
to now. Yes, player salaries in total were $4.64 billion. The idea of the half season would have been two point right. three, and that's the prorated cut on what they thought was the 81-game schedule. Right. So a player, then, is losing $2 billion in revenue. Now, when it comes to expenses for these players, you could say their expenses are up to them. And I guess that's just yeah, what sure. it's supposed to be. But there is still something to be said about the fact that they're getting cut in half, right? Like, because well, because the games are getting cut in half. That's called force majeure. That's no, no, the pro I rate, totally, and they I already totally agreed that. to that. My 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 basic point is just right. one side is losing half their revenue, but they're also losing half their expenses, right? Yeah. So we're still kind of moving at a similar rate. Where yeah. in the players' world, they're going to lose half their revenue. But their way of life, and I know a lot of people mm-hmm. don't feel bad for millionaires, but they're not all millionaires, okay, you. is getting cut in half. And we're not kind of factoring in those other things. So that's why in the midst of a pandemic, when one side is raking in a billion annual dollar profit margin, yeah. when it comes to sharing the pain, yeah. one side is like, listen, we're not hurt at all. The mm-hmm. question is, how many bullets will you take? That's right. And and at every step, the players are taking bullets. So now, to me, if you said, what is the fairest option here? Right. Assuming that we can look at the owner's side of things, right? Their revenue. I mean, I guess you could also argue that you're going to be like, let's play 70 games, which is closer, but still gets you to not losing money for the owners, right? You can say 75, 70, something like that. Not the red, not the green, the black. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very interesting. But at least to me, honestly. And this is why, Kevin, not to you know unearth things, but that's why I talked about the formal process of it all, right? Because I now see what one position, what one side's position is, what the other side's position is, and the fact that we know that the commissioner can come on in and decide with you know good faith in this range. It makes me think he's going to pick something in this range in the same way that Silver heard everybody and yeah. then decided something. I think you're right. It was by force instead of collaboration or trust. But here it is. One thing I do know, Kev, whenever baseball is back, Chris Archer won't be there. Um, Chris Archer is having surgery, it looks like. Pirate starter Archer. And, you know, it's this, this thoracic outlet syndrome. That's what uh, Matt Harvey had. And this is a big deal. He won't be there. Um, does that matter for the Pirates, who we think is going to be one of the dregs of the league anyway? We don't even know what division they're going to be in. Right. I mean, it, it matters as much as it can to a team that we were going to pay no mind to. Right. I, I think the only thing it makes me wonder is, is should we be surprised we haven't seen more players shutting it down? Like Noah Syndergaard did it. Right. We're like, oh, this we saw Bogdanovich in the NBA. Right. Like we, we, we were like, oh, maybe this Noah Syndergaard thing could become like normal. And then instead, the only thing that I feel like I've heard is like, the Yankees are getting healthy. You know what I mean? Yankees are getting healthy. Absolutely. One other thing I heard, and I brought up Matt uh, Harvey, and we'll end the hour on this. Matt Harvey is one of a few players who said they're interested in maybe going to your KBO to try to reclimate their career now that there's eyes on it. You like that? We only got a couple seconds. I love it. That's exactly how it's done. That's what you need to do. You need to bring in and that's Matt Harvey being bad is great for the KBO. Like he doesn't have to come in and throw perfect games. Like him getting tanked, awesome, great for numbers. Absolutely, that'll be our number one. We turn our attention to the Seattle Seahawks with our roster reset. Our number two of the early line is on and popping after this. Stick with us. SportsGrid.com: Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips, twenty-four-seven, as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering: real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.